is good. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Jonah. All right, <clears throat> Jonah this morning. Jonah chapter 4 is where we'll be. Uh, Jonah chapter 4 this morning. And uh, as you are turning there, finding your place there, I uh, just want to remind you once again that when it comes to this little book of the Bible, most people are familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale. But understand, you know this by now, surely. But understand, this little book of the Bible is not just a story about a man and a fish, as amazing and exciting and true that story is. Understand, there's so much more to learn from this book of the Bible. Yes, much to learn about Jonah, which we'll see a lesson about him today. Much to learn about Jonah, some about Nineveh, we saw that last time. But the greatest thing we learn from this little book of the Bible is the greatness of our God. We learn about His great mercy and care and kindness, His great power and love, His great forgiveness and compassion, His great wisdom and foresight, the great second chances He gives, and so much more. It's really amazing to, to see, as I read this four-chapter book of the Bible, that God is in every single detail of it. And listen, He's in the details of your life too. Never forget it. So we learn more about God. Listen, more about God than we do about Jonah here. So keep that in mind, all right? But so far as we've been in this book together, we know that Jonah was given a command from the Lord, and that was to what, church? That was to go. That was go to Nineveh. And preach to that city the preaching that God gave him, bid him to preach. And he was just to simply obey God's clear command. But we know for one reason or another that Jonah disobeyed God's command. Uh, one reason or another he rebelled against God's clear will for his life. But be reminded in our rebellion we know the Lord does not just allow his children, his servants to dwell there. No, we know that God began to deal with Jonah. And listen, he will deal with us too. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you can only rebel for so long before you feel the loving, I'll remind you of that, but stern, chastising hand of the Lord. He will begin to deal with us. And he did so with Jonah and more fully. But he did so for this reason. Yes, in love, but also for a purpose. Also for a purpose. He still had a purpose for Jonah. He still wanted to use Jonah. Still had a plan for his life. And so God had to deal with Jonah's rebellion in order to fulfill God's will and that purpose and that plan for his, for his life. And so in dealing with Jonah, Jonah finally began to do this. We saw in chapter 2, he cried unto the Lord. Jonah finally prayed to God. He finally turned, did a 180, turned to the Lord and repented and got right with God. After Jonah repented and got right with the Lord, Jonah discovered some things that remained true in his life, that God's mind for him to use him in a big way had not changed and God still wanted to reach Nineveh. And so he sent Jonah the second time. So Jonah, armed with a recommission from the Lord, with fresh mercy, with fresh forgiveness, armed with a fresh purpose from God, marches into the city of Nineveh and preaches this simple, short, eight-word message of yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And as Jonah preaches, as Jonah obeys, as he preaches this message, listen, something amazing began to happen 
in the city of Nineveh. What was that? It was an evangelistic campaign like no other where multitudes, thousands upon thousands, which I believe it could very well be in the millions of people, turned to the Lord. As we looked at it last time, we saw Nineveh's revival. But it's really amazing to think about that thousands and thousands of people turning by faith to the Lord. It's amazing. It's humbling. And listen, it's very stirring to me. It really is. And be reminded of the story as we saw it last time in chapter 3 of Nineveh turning to the Lord. is not just a made-up story to stir people's hearts for revival. No, it's actual history. It actually happened. Multitudes were actually saved. And even as I think about it this morning, it still, it still stirs me. Because I'm asking God to do this. I've been asking God to do this for a long time, but it helps me to continue praying and asking God this. This little prayer. To call upon the Lord that He would do great and mighty things we know not. I'm asking God to do great things. It's a great desire of my heart to see God use us in big ways. But as we come to chapter 4 this morning, the last chapter of this book, Jonah, you would think at least, Jonah, would be on uh, cloud nine over the things that have taken place. You would think he'd be full of joy, having his life fulfilled, having his cup full and running over at this moment, seeing all the things that transpired in chapter number 3. At least, I hope, at least my heart would be that way. I'll be full of joy that... My cup would run over, be overflowing. But as you come to chapter 4 this morning, I want you to know that's not the case. You will not find a joyful Jonah here. You will not find, you will not find a pleased prophet. Rather, what you find when you come to chapter 4, we discover a very angry individual. We will see Jonah full of wrath. We will see a servant of the Most High God, listen, full of rage. Understand, that's what we will find. And you know, it's interesting to me as I think of this, transitioning from chapter 3 to chapter 4, before we go on, it's interesting to me that really, this just proves yet again to me at least, this is going to be a side note to the message, but it proves again at least to me that this is another, another evidence that uh, this book uh, this Bible that we hold in our laps this morning is divinely inspired. You say, well, well, how would you say that, pastors, in the transition here? Well, listen, if you or I was writing this Bible, right, and we were writing the book of Jonah, uh, we would have stopped after chapter 3. I promise you we would have. Because, again, be reminded, uh, in chapter 3, the great things that took place. Now, we know in the first couple of chapters, uh, we know a little bit of the rebellion of, of, of Jonah. It wasn't a great start. And, uh, but when you come to chapter 3, you've seen people getting saved, turn to the Lord, and they respond by the droves to your preaching. That's the kind of ending I would want to my story, right? Uh, to the story of Jonah. We would want that. I mean, who wouldn't want to end with a high note or a highlight and be remembered with that? Because no doubt ending with chapter 3 would have made Jonah one of the greatest prophets in history. See, multitudes come to Christ. So that's where I would have stopped if I was writing this little book of Jonah. But understand, it doesn't end with chapter 3. There's another chapter, and it's chapter 4. 
And in this chapter, it starts out and tells us of Jonah's hot displeasure. It goes on to tell us the bad stuff about Jonah, this bad attitude, his bitter heart towards the people. And listen, I believe even his anger towards the Lord himself. Listen, if we were writing, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't tell on ourselves like that. We wouldn't tell the deep, dark secrets of our heart and put it in a book for all to read for years and generations and thousands of years. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that, but guess who did? The Lord. Why? Because this is a divinely inspired book. Because it's God who knows the real you. He knows the heart of man, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It's God who weighs the motives of men, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. And it's God who knows the thoughts and intents your very motives, the intents of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. So it's the Lord who knew the true heart of Jonah in this moment and wrote it down for in the book for all to read and all to see. Why? Because God wanted to embarrass him and make a public uh, example out of him? No, not at all. Rather, I believe God puts this in Jonah's story for us to read for this purpose, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. They are written... For our admonition. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, when you pick up your Bible and you begin to read, please understand something. God has something for us all to learn in every book, on every page, in every chapter, and from every verse of this Bible. God has something for us all. And no doubt as we come to chapter 4, I want you to know God has something for us today as well. So let's take that as a little side note to the introduction of, of the message. So let's look at chapter 4 this morning. And uh, it's only 11 verses, but uh, we're only going to read the first, the first four verses of this chapter together. All right, so look at verse number 1, chapter 4 and verse number, number 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. He prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness. Therefore, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Our Father, as we study this portion of Scripture together, we read it, we preach it, we teach it. I pray to arrest our attention and help us to glean and gain and grow from it this morning. And do a deep work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we will not get to everything of this chapter today, but I do want to look at these first few verses. And I've titled the message, uh, this title this morning... The resentment of Jonah. Now, if you have a habit of marking your Bible, I, I tend to do that often, but I've titled each chapter this way. Chapter 1, you can find Jonah's rebellion. Chapter 2, you can find Jonah's repentance. Chapter 3, you can find Jonah's revival. And chapter 4, we find Jonah's resentment. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jonah's resentment. Now, to put things in perspective, as you come to chapter 4, keep in mind now, the whole time, keep in mind the things that took place in the previous chapter of chapter number 3, with an entire nation turning to the Lord, entire nation uh, having revival, multitudes were saved, and no doubt amazing that that was. And then as you think about that event, let me ask you this question, all right? Would that, um, 
event of revival at Nineveh, would that make you happy? Uh, would it give you, as a believer, great joy in seeing people turn to God? Would you, as a believer, would you say, praise God, hallelujah, wonderful, amen, and just, just rejoice in the Lord for what He has done? Would you do that? I say some of us would. Others, you say, well, pastor, I don't know if I would. You know, I'm not very vocal. Well, just humor me just a little bit this morning, all right? Would you at the very least get just a smidge excited and finally crack a smile over what God has done and maybe, maybe just lift a hand just, just barely above your shoulder and just give a holy grunt of... Mm. <sighs> We're seeing thousands of people... Come to the Lord. I'd say surely in one degree or another, some of us, in one degree or another, we would, all of us, would be excited at some, at some point. And if anybody would, or should, have been excited at this moment of what God, or what God was doing, happy about the results of this revival at Nineveh, we would all expect that man to be Jonah. Surely, he would be excited about it, right? I mean, after all, he was, he was the prophet. He was the servant of the Most High God. He was the one doing the preaching. He was the one that did the preaching where the people responded to. And it's obvious that God was using him. And that's more than enough to get excited about knowing that God is using you in one form or another. He should have been, listen, he should have been elated. I know that I would have. But what was his response? Was he happy? No. Not at all. He was not excited. Rather, he was quite annoyed. Because again, the Bible says, look at this in verse number one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. Now, some of these words here in this verse that the Lord uses to describe Jonah's spirit and attitude at this moment is very interesting. I think it would do us some good this morning to, to understand him a little bit uh, uh, deeper in a better way to aid in our perspective of this moment, all right, of just how mad Jonah was. So the first word I want you to look at and circle is this one, all right? Circle this word, displeased, in verse number one. Now, when you see this word and hear this word displeased, uh, when you hear this word, what comes to mind? Uh, maybe, maybe to you, it comes to your mind, does this not be too bad of a word to show the degree of anger in someone's life? Maybe, as you think of someone just being displeased, maybe you think, well, they're, I mean, they're a little frustrated, I can tell a little frustrated. Uh, maybe you can see they're a little disappointed. Uh, when you see displeased, maybe like, man, that person, uh, I think I just let them down. Maybe they're just a little bit irritated and, uh, and a little bit mad, just a little bit. At least that's when I, when I read this word. That's what comes to my mind. But understand, this word goes much deeper than just a little irritated, all right? And then I want you to see this next phrase, two words in verse number one, where it says this, and very angry circle those two words now what comes to mind when you hear this what comes to mind when you think of someone very angry maybe for sure we would think this is at least at least be a degree uh, maybe a step or two above uh, the being displeased he was just very angry maybe you think of your as a child you think of your mom being very angry when she reaches for the wooden spoon she's very angry you think of your dad growing up and he begins to you hear that off a sound of whop, 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 and the belt comes off. You think he's very angry, right? 
Uh, maybe you think of that. Or maybe you, you start hearing somebody's voice begin to raise and um, you, you think mm, they're getting, uh, that's a different degree. They're not displeased anymore. They're getting very angry. I, I, would, I would say that we would think that this is at least one step up from being displeased. But understand something. I want you to picture in your mind, at least I want you to see it. I'm getting to a point here, okay? But I want you to understand just how mad Jonah was here. Because when you connect the word displeased with the word exceedingly, and then you connect the phrase very angry with the word displeased and exceedingly, here's the picture you will find, all right? I'm going to try to paint it for you. But here's the picture you will find. You will find an individual whose face is beat red. Eyes probably begin to bulge. He is seeing nothing but red. His blood pressure is skyrocketing to the point where it seems that if he was a pressure cooker, the lid is about to bust off. But this anger is not going to just stop with some yelling, stop with some uh, corrective, uh, or corrective rather, criticisms. No, no, no. This type of anger is so mad. You go to so far to the point of wanting to do harm and cause injury. Now, maybe some of you have seen that kind of spirit, seen that kind of uh, anger before in your life. Maybe you've been that person. But take what you've seen, multiply it by two, and you might get a picture of Jonah right here. He is horrendously mad. This is his spirit. This is his anger. This is his resentment. And because he is so mad, I want you to know something. His mind was terribly clouded because of his anger. Three things I want to see this morning from this clouded mind of his resentment, because of his resentment. The first one is this. His mind was so clouded by his anger that he did this. It was clouded about the liberation of Nineveh. Again, look at verse number one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Now the it here is referring back to, to chapter uh, three, where the people of Nineveh, Nineveh repented of their evil ways and turned to the Lord. And the Lord repenting of the wrath that he was going to bring upon them, but did it not. This is what he's referring to. This is what he was mad about. Again, this is something not to be mad about, right? I've, I've known people to get upset over uh, seeing no results in their ministry and preaching and that kind of thing. But I've never yet to meet somebody who gets mad at results of their preaching and ministry. Yet here Jonah is exactly mad about, about that. His, his resentment, his anger, listen, clouded his mind toward this liberation, toward these people getting saved, towards the blessing that God was giving to these people. Yes, but understand, take another perspective here, to him too and to Israel. Because remember, it was kind of a passing remark or, or a passing uh, statement we made uh, last time. Remember, because of this revival, understand Israel's enemy of the Assyrians would be at peace with Israel for close to 150 years because of this revival. 
Because of multitudes of people coming to Christ, multitudes of Israelites will be spared the harsh reality of war with the Assyrians. And remember, the Assyrians were not kind people. They didn't take no prisoners. No, they impaled you upon the pole and skinned you alive and put your skin upon the walls of the city. They just destroyed it. Every time you went by it, you knew that was the Assyrians. Okay. So picture in your mind, because of this revival... The blessing of your, your sons, your men, your husbands not having to go and fight against these bloody and wicked people. Wives would have their husbands. Mamas would have their baby boys. Listen, it's an amazing perspective when you think about it. And Jonah, you're mad about that? What's wrong with you? His anger clouded his mind against the liberation of the people, clouded his judgment against these people and it clouded his perspective what God was doing. It clouded his thinking concerning these individuals, not just, not just the Ninevites, but listen, even for Israel themselves. Understand, anger will cloud our minds as well and give you the wrong perspective on a situation if you allow it to control you. It will happen. It will happen. It will cause you to think foolish thoughts and do silly things just like it did here in the case of Jonah. So what else was clouded as he was so angry? Well, I mean, his perspective on the liberation of, of Nineveh was clouded. What else? Well, number two, his mind on the Lord was clouded. What he thought about God was clouded as well. Look at verse number two. And he prayed unto the Lord. That's a good place to start when you're angry. You need to start praying. Turn to the Lord. That's good, Jonah. And he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. <laughs> it's a little comical. When you see a prophet turning to the Lord in prayer, but praying not a sweet prayer, but quite hastily and harsh in his remarks Remarks to God. But as I read this and I think about this part of Jonah's testimony here, how did he get to this point that he responded to God like that? Yes, he was angry and it clouded his mind. But what else kind of brought him to this point? Well, I think the main contributor that brought him to this point of his mind being clouded was his heart was far from the Lord. Even as a servant of God, even as a prophet of the Lord, his heart was far from God. Now understand this man knew God. He knew the Lord. He knew the character of God. He knew God so well. He said these words in verse number 2. He knew the Lord was a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Look, he had so much knowledge of God, so much so that he knew exactly how the Lord would react to his preaching of the Word. Even reacting to these Ninevites, if they turned to the Lord, he knew God would forgive them and show them great kindness and show them great mercy. And his anger would be very slow toward these people. He knew God so well. He knew the results of his own preaching before he preached it. He knew God. He knew God. He knew God's mind, he knew God's ways, he knew God's character, but here's something that was missing. He was not up to date on God's heart in this moment. For how could he have such a head knowledge of God 
and be so far away from the heartbeat of God. How can he get there? His anger clouded his mind and perspective to the Lord. He got his focus off of God and onto himself, and he allowed anger to cloud his mind and control him. Listen, anger will cloud our minds concerning, listen, it will, concerning the Lord. It will cause you and I to think thoughts that are foolish and untrue. Yes, even about our great God we know and serve. Do you remember what Cain did in Genesis chapter number 4? Cain got mad and killed his brother Abel. Do you remember that? The Bible says this in Genesis 4 and verse 6 through 10. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou, why out thou, why, hmm, why on time? Okay, I'll get there. Hold on. Why art thou, uh, don't put that in the radio, okay, anyway. Uh, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, that's Cain said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Understand the devil used the anger of Cain to drive a wedge between Cain, yes, and Abel, but more importantly, between Cain and God. He knew who God was. He knew what God expected of him because of his anger. It drove him from a relationship with God. And we shouldn't be surprised at this, that the devil would use such a tactic because he uses it often. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now in context, he's talking about the uh, husband-wife relationship. All right, Husbands, you shouldn't be mad at your wives and go to bed. You shouldn't do it. Wives shouldn't be mad at your husbands and go to bed, all right? Make up and uh, repent, confess it, get right with each other, okay? Don't let anger come between you, all right? And don't point at each other. It's okay. I know you're pointing, all right? At least you're pointing in your heart right now. It's okay, all right? But don't do it. And it's interesting to me as you read this verse when it says, Be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It doesn't have a period there. It has a colon. Because the thought's not done yet. So what's the rest of it? We've got to go to the next verse and find out. Neither give place to the devil. So when you allow yourself to be so controlled by anger, especially to your family or your spouse, you know what you're doing? You're giving the devil a place. You're inviting the devil into your home. You're inviting the devil into your life. You're saying, preacher, that sounds very mystical. <laughs> well, it's biblical. It's not mystical. You're giving him a place. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians and saying, don't give them a place in your home. Don't give them a place in your life by being angry and mad, wrathful. Don't let it happen. Neither give place to the devil. Listen, Cain did, and guess what happened? He killed his brother and destroyed his fellowship and relationship with God. Understand anger will drive a wedge between you and your family, but it will drive a wedge between you and and your God, don't let it happen. Get it right before it does. Confess it, control it, and do not let it control you. Not only, listen, got to hurry. 
Not only did his anger cloud his mind concerning the liberation of Nineveh, not only did it cloud his mind concerning the Lord, but listen, lastly and thirdly, it clouded his mind concerning life. Look at verse number 3. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, he's begging God, he is begging God, I beseech thee, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. You know, as I read this verse, it just doesn't seem right. It seems misplaced. I mean, why would a man be so angry, so upset about, about people getting saved, about God doing a great work, and so upset, listen, if we can put it this way, about his own success, why be so upset about this that he does not want to live any longer, that he wants to die, that he wants God, he's begging God to take his life. It seems misplaced. And as I think about it, it's absolutely crazy, yet... Here we are, reading it in the context of all this taking place of Jonah saying, Lord, take my life. Lord, let me die. It's better for me to die than to live. Again, his focus really the entire time. That's where anger breeds out of, by the way. His focus was on himself. Because he even said it's better for me, better for me, better for me, better for me to die. He's focused on himself so much here. And that's where anger kind of is, is uh, bred out of, out of pride and out of me, myself, and I. Because it offended me. You made me mad. You cut me off on the road. You did. You see what I'm saying? He was so full of himself in this moment. So full of himself that he got so angry that he would say, Lord, take my life. I'd rather die. But how do you get to this point? Well, again, he lost sight of the Lord, became so angry, and his mind became so clouded, his judgment became so clouded even about his own life. And I'm very aware today, and I understand completely today, that people, yes, even believers, can allow themselves to become so angry that their mind be clouded concerning their own life, and they say foolish things like this. I have heard it with their own lips. Pfft, I don't know. It's probably better off I die anyway. Ah, maybe I should just die. I know the Bible says that the pastor is not to be a brawler, but sometimes in those moments, I want to tackle the individual in Jesus' name and whoop them, you know? But uh, it's not true. <laughs> not better off if you die. It's not true what people still say that. It's never the answer. Can I just be blunt this morning and say suicide is not the answer? And everybody should say amen. Suicide, listen, it is rampant. I know it's up like some 200% or some, something like that in the previous, several previous years. It's, 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 it's rampant. I know that. And I hate, those, I hate those, those results. I hate those statistics when I see them and, and think about them. It's, it's absolutely tragic, but it's not the answer. Suicide is a permanent answer for someone, somebody for a temporary problem. It's not the answer. It's never the right answer. And I just want to bear my heart to you this morning. If you ever contemplate that, I want you to know you can talk to me. We can sit down in, our, in my office and I will cry with you. I will listen to you without casting any judgment or harsh criticism. I promise you. You know why? Because I've done it. I've sat with people and done just that. 
People just need to cry on somebody's shoulder and listen to, I'm willing to do that. You're not alone. I don't care what the devil says. Don't let him get you so angry that your mind's clouded about your own life, you would take it. Or ask God to take it. Don't do that. But his mind was so clouded, his heart was so far away from the Lord in this moment that he thought that was the answer for him. For him. He was so angry, he wanted to die. So as I think of John in this moment, as I think of him and his mind being so clouded over what he's thinking and his anger, all of that together, as I think of that, I have to ask all of us this morning, are you angry? Are you an angry person? Now, I understand that we all have our moments and have our days, and no, I am not offering you an excuse to give to your spouse when you get angry, all right? Or offering you an excuse to your children when you get angry and say, I'm just having a bad day. I'm not offering you an excuse. I'm just being real, okay? I know we live in a world that's just full of uh, frustration and evil and wickedness, and yes, we live in that world, and we live with our sinful nature that will respond wrongly to all of that and can respond in full-blown wrath and anger. So I know we have some bad days every now and then. However, if you become angry all the time and allow yourself to be controlled by anger, you're going to find yourself thinking, saying, and even doing some very foolish things that I promise you, you will regret. You're looking at a very very person who struggled with anger. You're looking at them. You say, you pastor? <laughs> yeah, I like to laugh and cut up, but I promise you, that's something I have struggled with. God has really helped me and given me a lot of victory in a lot of areas of my life. He really has in that, in that matter. You know, he's done it. He's, he's given me his word. And I've taken his word, tried to hide it in my heart. And every time I think of wanting to lash out and be angry at something, God brings this very verse to my mind. Can I give it to you? And maybe you need to take this verse, write it down, memorize it for yourself so God can do the same and so He can convict your heart and convict your mind of the foolishness that you're thinking and about to say or do. But it's this verse. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 9. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. If you allow anger to control you, you're going to do some very foolish things and you wish you never had. Memorize that verse. Take it to heart and let God bring it to your mind every time you're tempted to be hasty in thy spirit. So I want to encourage you, do not let anger control you. You control your anger. You say, Pastor, did you just hear what you said? I can't help who I am. I can't help that I lash out sometimes. I can't help when I get angry. Oh, yes, you can. All right? If you cannot, we need to have a talk and we need to get those, uh, those jackets where it puts you in it and it lets you hug yourself all day long and take into a padded room and take away everything sharp and even your shoelaces away from you, all right? You can't control it. <laughs> so I want to tell you, you can. You say, well, come on, man. What do you mean by that? Again, the Bible says, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. 
That word be not is not a suggestion to those who are walking so close to God. You can't help but be sweet all the time. No, no, no. That right there, be haste or be not means this. Be not hasty is a command. He's saying, don't do it. I know you want to. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Pastor, I can't help it. Don't do it. But I'm a baby. Don't do it. You know what they do? Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, it's interesting when, um, <laughs> never mind, I'm not going there. Anyway. <laughs> I know people can control it because I've been around when people are having, um, shall we say, intense prayer meetings and uh, um, not praying at all. But anyway, having intense prayer meetings, that's, at least that's what we call it around our place. We don't have arguments, intense prayer meetings, okay, man. But uh, uh, having intense prayer meetings and the preacher comes around, guess what happens? The volume comes down. You're not yelling anymore. Put on a smile. Why? Because you're so special, preacher? No. Because they don't want the preacher to think bad of them. So we've got to calm down a little bit. We'll have to listen when we get home. You know. So that tells me you can't control it. Now I know this message is not one you swing from the chandeliers on and say a lot of amen at. I've been saying, oh me, all week long. All right. But it's something we've got to get a hold of before it gets a hold of you. And does things you wish you'd never done. Because I promise you, Jonah, he wished you'd never done this. Responded this way. Pitched a fit like this. A tantrum, man. I mean, just a fit. And it wasn't a holy one either. Quite fleshly and quite carnal. And by the way, wrath, as we've seen recently, even in Galatians chapter 5 on Wednesdays, it is a work of the flesh. So if you want to walk in the flesh, that's going to be the fruit you produce, anger, wrath, all the time. But how do you combat that? Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be yielded to the Holy Ghost, to the Holy Spirit. Be yielded to the Word of God and be not hasty. And our spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Now, I don't expect this altar to fill up this morning. Something like this. But here's what I do expect as your friend and as your pastor to take this verse, bury it deep in your heart so that God can bring it up to your mind when you have that temptation to be hasty. Let God begin to change you from the inside out. As you walk with Him, as you spend time with Him, as you walk in the Spirit, let God help you in this area to be not hasty in thy spirit. So Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, very angry. He prayed this, but look at verse number 4. We'll get to this next time. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Oh, you know questions sometimes, so convicting. And we see that Jonah didn't even respond. He just walked away. If God is knocking on your door this morning, dear Christian, of doest thou well to be angry, can I encourage you? Do not walk away without having a 